Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We started looking last week at the second bracha of the Amidah called Givurot, God, God's Mighty Acts. We read and translated and started and, and talked about the history of the development of the classical rabbinic idea of Triatametim, resurrection of the dead. Um, we, again, this, this, um, uh, blessing starts with that and ends with that. So that's clearly, um, a point. I, I guess I have to say the main point of the bracha. But it talks about God's other mighty acts, uh, supporting the uh, fallen, healing the sick, um, releasing the bound, right? All of these are, are classic things that the Torah uses to describe God. And then kind of the zinger or the greatest mighty act of all is resurrection of the dead, which is clearly, I think, what the sages mean literally. So whatever we want to say about how the dead live on in your memory or whatever, I think those are all uh, modern. I don't want to call them all modern, but, but they are, I think, ex post facto attempts to talk about a doctrine that many people uh, are puzzled by, feel uncomfortable with, feel challenged by, I know not everyone does, and I think there are plenty of Jews who believe in a classical view of resurrection of the dead. I think there are plenty of Jews who don't. Um, and I think all such explanations, which I'll, I'll ask you in a few moments to share yours if you feel like it, your way of interpreting, I think all of those are ex post facto ways of trying to live with a passage that we find challenging. I think the shot of the passage is Clearly, the rabbinic idea that at the end of time, God will resurrect the dead or the dead who are righteous um, and they will uh, and they will continue to live on eternally in some other non-physical realm. I think that's clearly what the bracha means and clearly what the authors wanted to say. And they're saying it by way of structure by saying, well, God does all these other mighty things. God heals the sick, releases the bound. So this is just the, the, um, the nth degree of God's, um, power, uh, is that God can resurrect the dead. Before we get to that, um, we already have gotten to that, but before we get to that and get stuck there and don't go anywhere else, um, I just want to share a passage uh, so I showed you this last time. This is my people's prayer book, which is like a 10 volume thing about the Sidur, which is structured to be like a traditional Jewish commentary, right? Vilna edition of the text in the middle with lots of comments around it. So one of the commentaries is written by our very own Rabbi Elliot Dorf. Um, and I just want to read you a little bit from his passage about this. He He talks about the stuff that, 
we don't get that we get that we're less hung up on in the bracha. We're all we get hung up on mechaye hametim. While the ability to determine life and death may be the most dramatic evidence of God's power, we, we recognize it also in more common occurrences, like supporting the falling and healing the sick. Now he does the, his little two-step. In all such areas, we are called to imitate God. That is undoubtedly true theologically, um, but I'm, I'm not sure that this bracha actually says that or wants you to think that. So he adds in here, in this, in such areas, we are called to imitate God. Mm-hmm. Um, when people fall physically, intellectually, or emotionally, it is necessary, though often difficult, to help them regain their standing. Recognizable and often dramatic examples include orthopedists and physical therapists who help people walk again. Teachers who painstakingly teach okay. those who have difficulty learning. And friends, relatives, or counselors, which means us who help the bereaved cope with loss. Support for the fallen, that's somech noflim, support for the fallen is often a normal and too little noticed part of day-to-day life. As an exercise of both power and goodness, it is nothing short of a godly act. So Elliot here is talking about what somech noflim means and how there's an implication that just as God is somech noflim, we need to be somech noflim. By the way, there are explicit rabbinic passages about that, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Just as God does this, so you should do that. Just as God feeds the naked, feeds the hungry, you should feed the hungry. Just as God clothes the naked, you should please clothe the naked. It's called in, in uh, Christian theology, imitatio dei, imitating God. We are supposed to imitate God. Um, freeing the captive. Matir Asurim. The phrase conjures up instances of redeeming captives and prisoners, and it certainly denotes that. The same words, though, are used in the early morning blessings, Berchot HaShachar, where, and according to the Talmud, they denote the ability just to sit up in bed on the way to getting up in the morning. So Matir Asurim means you're able to move, okay? Anyone who has ever been bedridden or seen someone else in that state will recognize the poignancy of the blessing in that context. We who can get up, bless God for freeing us from being chained to our beds. The phrase can also be interpreted metaphorically to refer to releasing someone from intellectual or psychological bonds. Superstitious beliefs, for example, or prejudice toward others. All of these instances of liberating the bound require both power and goodness, two of Hashem's chief characteristics, and therefore these two are godly, are godly acts. So he, uh, Rabbi Dorf talks about those things and, and um, uh, wants us to sort of dwell on them rather than just cutting to the chase and thinking about Mechaye HaMetim. Even those who doubt that God's power extends to restoring life to the dead can appreciate the assertion here that God is manifest in the many things that transcend our understanding and control. So he's saying here, when we talk about God's power, we're talking about things that are, it's another way of talking about things that are beyond our power control. People, such people can also accept the model of a human life dedicated to imitating God in sustaining the hungry, supporting the fallen, healing the sick, 
and freeing the bound. In other words, Rabbi Dorf wants to say that for those who have trouble with the literal idea of God is Mechaye Hametin, we should not miss the other aspects of this paragraph about God's power, about things that are out of it, out of our control. And we should take every opportunity to practice imitatio dei, imitation of Hashem, that just as God releases the bound, so we are obligated to release the bound, right? Just as God supports the fallen, we are obligated to try to support the fallen, etc. So I wanted to share that because I thought it was a nice passage. Um, again, classically, the first three brachot are praise. Before we come to God with our petitions, we praise God. And so I think strictly speaking in this context, our praise of God isn't necessarily meant to make us think I'm praising God for supporting the fallen. Therefore, it's my obligation to support the fallen today. Okay, I think this, the group mind that composed the Sidur maybe thought of that in other contexts. I'm not sure they think of it in the context of this second bracha of the Amidah. Um, but surely by association, Rabbi Dorf is saying, because we know this idea exists elsewhere in rabbinic Judaism, it's inevitable or that we should think of this idea when reading this bracha, meaning the bracha isn't just about resurrection and you can take it or leave it theologically. It's about other things also. And, and, and those shouldn't escape our notice just because it starts and ends. Um, so there are certainly many interpretations and understandings that people have of what does it mean to say God gives life to the dead. Um, we did say last week that the more liberal Jewish movements, reform and reconstructionism, which are more, which would more openly say, we don't believe that in a literal sense, that they have had various changes in their sidur, Mechaye hakol berachamim rabim, who gives life to all, and changing the last bracha to Mechaye hakol, right, giving life to all, or hanotein chayim lakol chai, God who gives life to all living things. These are alternative phrases from the Bible. Um, and before I throw open the floor for discussion, I'll say um, I was I was actually having dinner with a, a philosophical friend a couple of weeks ago. He's actually a he's not just a philosophical friend. He's a professional philosophy professor who said that he was talking, spending time with a man who died recently at the ripe old age of 90 or 90 something, whose wife had uh, preceded him and died several years ago. And he said the philosopher the, the, the scholarly friend said to him, I'm looking forward to going to see so-and-so, my wife, even though I don't actually believe that. So that's an interesting statement. And I think what it means is, and I see this really as a, like a, you know, mental health brain science person. Um, we have different mental capacities you know, we have different parts of our brain. They function differently. Um, and the thought that someone would say, um, and I'm going to interpret what that dying person said. I think what he meant is there's a scientific materialist 
in the philosophical sense, part of my brain that doesn't actually believe that after I die, I'm going to go to some realm. My soul will go to some realm where I will encounter other souls and thus I will be united with my wife who I loved and who I miss. There's a scientific materialist part of my brain that doesn't actually think the world works that way. But there is some other part of my brain, right, which I will call the, I'm not sure what to call it. You can call it spiritual if you want, but I'll certainly call it the non-scientific, non-materialistic part that says, and I'm looking forward to being with her again. Um, my particular version of this, many of you have heard me cite this story before, is my father, Zal, died while he was visiting us over Pesach, not in our house. He went for a walk and had the big one. Um, and so I had to, we had to explain to our children individually that Saba died. Like they were, they were out of the house on Friday. They were coming home. Each had a play date and we had to like, oh no, how are we going to explain this to them? So, um, there was one kid who was, uh, four or five in Piaget's pre-operational stage. For those who know anything about child development, that means the age when, when children are in living in the age of fantasy and magic and pre-logical. And we said, um, um, you know, took her side, very sad. Uh, Saba, you know, he was very old while he was out. Um, he died. Um, uh, and it's okay. He didn't suffer and he's, he went and he's with Safta now, my mother who had died years before. And without, Pausing, my child said, and they'll walk the dog because the dog had died also. And I said, I, of course, paused for a moment. And I said, yes, they'll walk the dog. And she said, okay, good. And that was the end of the conversation. Right. So um, and we know from human development, although we out, although we we add other levels onto our brain um, as we get older. How do I say this? In our development, we're not like caterpillars who become butterflies. Caterpillars who become butterflies never have cat any caterpillar essence left to them anymore. I don't know if that's actually true or not, because I'm not an entomologist. Okay. But we know for human development, we add layers of development onto our brain, okay? So the layer of um, Saba and Safta are together and they're walking the dog is a layer of our cells in our brain that never actually goes away. It doesn't disappear. It's just that there are other systems that come online also, like, oh, the world is made of matter and atoms and things don't work that way in science. But I think um, both of those ways of thinking, as well as others, coexist in the human mind, which is why a dying man can say, I'm looking forward to seeing my bride again, even though I don't believe that. And when someone says that, what that means to me really is, oh, on one level, they don't believe that. And on another level, they do believe that. With one, one part of their brain says, 
the world work doesn't work that way. And another part of the brain says, yes, I think the world works that way. And I think that is what makes us, um, uh, it's a part of what makes us human beings, part of what makes us adult human beings, not computers, and also not four-year-olds. Okay. But, but very, very complex beings who, um, have different thoughts and different beliefs, not only at different points in our lives, but I think with different functions of our mind and at Nishama. Um, I'll close with one, my final personal anecdote, and then I will spend 15 minutes of discussion. Uh, uh, I, I had trouble with this bracha, um, and then what does it mean? I don't believe that resurrection of the dead. And then uh, one Friday night at, uh, you know, these things happen at summer camp. I was standing at the window for Kabbalat Shabbat, looking out the window, saying the Amidah, looking at beautiful, there's where I was, there's beautiful greenery and wild forest right outside that window. And um, I, I, um, and I thought about this passage of, you know, you sustain life. Life is a wheel of existence. Matter is neither created nor destroyed. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It is just transformed and takes different forms. And everything that exists continues to exist. This was my flash of insight looking at the greenery of the forest. And at that moment, it made sense to me. And I was, since then, I have not been troubled by this, um, this uh, line. Although lately, I am personally experimenting I'll admit publicly that I'm being non-halachic. Lately, I'm experimenting with saying, V'ne'eman atala ha'chayot metim, baruch ata Hashem mechayei hakol, which is the one of the reform endings, ways of changing the bracha. So I'm experimenting with that the last few weeks or so to see how that feels. Okay, so um, how does this bracha resonate with you all? Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? How does it hang together? Do you say it? Do you not say it? Are you troubled by it? Are you not troubled by it? The floor, my friends, as we say proverbially, is open. You may you may wave at me and unmute. And since it is being recorded, I will not say your last names, only your first names. Jeff, thanks for jumping in. I remember this from from uh, day school, being yes. very young, and even then having trouble with it. Okay. Some of the uh, it was an Orthodox day school, and I I remember that some of the imagery invoked by this because I think I was taught it was meant to be literal, and and I remember a rabbi talking about. And I don't know if it was his vision talking about bones rolling to Jerusalem, that everybody would be gathered in Jerusalem. And I think that stuck with me for decades until I heard alternate interpretations of how, you know, I, I dismissed it. But more recently, um, I think that I've I've considered alternate interpretations of what it really means. And it doesn't have to be literal. Do you want to share what some of those alternate interpretations are that you contemplate? 
Um, I think it was actually Meyer Schwartzstein that talked about this um, at his mother's shiva. Uh-huh. And then his interpretation, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. But, but, that, but that's okay. He'll say his interpretation. But what's important <laughs> is that it's, you, it's what you got from his interpretation. So it doesn't have to be accurate. Well, it, it just in a general sense, how uh-huh. we can have points in our lives where, where we are very low. And we can be brought back from that. Okay. A, got it. Meaning it's an extreme version. It, it might be, as an expression, a more extreme version of somech no flim, right? Supporting the fallen. Meaning I'm really, 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 really low and could be brought back from that. Is that what you mean? Um, yes, but even, you know, you can do things which make, you know, we often use the term, you know, that really killed me. And and, and we, yeah. it's also not literal. Yeah. And we can come back from things like that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I, I want to, oh, wait, hold on a second, Meyer. Hold on a second. I just want to say, Jeff, what you took from that is, you know, that's something that it says in the Psalms over and over again, right? I'm drowning. Seaweed is wrapped around my head and you rescued me. I am sucked down into the quicksand, but you pull me out, Hashem, right? These are... Uh, and very often, like, I am dying, but you save me. And some of the time it's possible in Psalms that it's really true, like someone is sick and dying and actually praying that they be healed. Um, but a lot of times it's clear that I'm almost dead and you rescue me, God, is really just a metaphor for things are seeming so, so dire and awful, but I know that you can save me meaning the I'm dying, you're killing me, is understood metaphorically, right? So so Jeff is on, on good, solid uh, ground uh, based on, you know, literary understanding of many Psalms and Sefer Tehillim. And we see this over and over again in Psalms, various words for death and dying, which are really meant to be taken metaphorically and not literally, right? And you you rescue my hand, you rescue me from death, O Lord, right? means like I'm dying here, right? But you save me. You can save me or you did save me. Sorry, Meyer, go ahead. No, I just mentioned that the Hayane team part was the part that I was sort of more thinking about with respect uh, to being rescued from the dead. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, dead. wait, wait. Also, Meyer, it's hard to yeah. hear you. It's hard to hear oh, you. Sorry. All right. All right. Try again, but but right into the phone because I want to hear it. I, I don't have it. I have it with the headphones. I'm sorry. Maybe it's yeah. a time. But, um, let's see if I can just come up. I'll try back in a minute. Okay. We'll try back. Thank you. We'll come back to that. Other thoughts? Other thoughts? How do you live with this? You know, you guys go to Morning Minion every day. How, how, what, how do you live with it? Tell me what you think. By the way, and if you say, I have no trouble with it, and I believe all the souls are reunited in some other realm, then that's totally cool with me. And the rest of us, right? So I know that there are people who, um, who have no difficulty with this classic, classical idea, right? And then there are people who say, I believe it, even though I have difficulty with it, right? So, so believing it doesn't mean you're not challenged by it. And being challenged by something doesn't necessarily mean I don't believe it, right? You can be challenged 
Right. As, as believers, we're challenged by lots of things. Yeah. Larry? Should I try now? Oh, yeah, sorry. Meyer. Oh, Meyer, you're good. Now we hear you good. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that um, I was at my mother's side when she was near suicidal, I guess is a better description. You know, the deep depression where life is sort of like a wafer thin between living and not living. Yeah. And also part of that all closely related to the fact that her very existence was kind of uh, questionable as a survivor of the Holocaust and having lost her parents and grandparents and uncles yeah. and stuff. That I think that Mechaia Metim feels really, you know, when you're at that point where you're essentially perhaps giving up and you come back, you sort of feel like you were at that point at which you were almost dead. Yeah. And, and being brought back to life is really, you know, it's a fight and it's a, and if you get there, it's an incredible victory. So I think it's yeah. a, mm -hmm. you know, it can, it can be super little, literal, I guess, in a way. Right. Good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Meyer. Okay. Avi, I was, I was waiting, <clears throat> this is Larry, I was waiting to give other people a chance. Um, because I don't know that I have all that much to, to contribute. Uh, my, my, my personal point of view is if you have trouble with Mechayam uh, 18, but you don't have trouble with the concept of God itself, um, I, I don't understand how you can believe in a God, which I admit many times, I, Every, I think almost everybody knows I don't in the conventional sense. But if you believe in God, then you must be able to believe that this God can do these supernatural things because that's the God that you believe in. Once you, once you have distanced yourself from that God being supernatural, um, then all these, all of these uh, prayers in some sense fall apart except metaphorically. So what do we have? But for me, um, I'm glad that my Hebrew isn't so fluent that I am struck in the face with every word that I say so that I am able, as I'm praying, to have my mind willingly or unwillingly go el elsewhere, sometimes not even to the subject of the prayer itself. But when it does go to the subject of the prayer and the various brachot in the, in, in the Amida, it is, it is always at a distance from the literal words, and it's what I make of that prayer, and that I would admit often changes over time, and has changed over time. I would hope so, because so. that reflects that you change over time, and if we didn't change over time, then I'd be nervous. Right, <laughs> and, and, and one of those changes is, um, is this ever-changing concept of God and what God is capable of doing. And how I've created God and man's created God and on and on we can go on there, go, go, we go there, go there forever. So for me, and I don't mean to be critical, I do have problems with, with people who have a very literal interpretation of Mechayim Etim means the resurrection of the dead. You said souls, but it's the resurrection of the dead and rolling underground to Jerusalem and all that. And my thought is, if you tell me you literally believe that, 
like you literally believe many other things, I got a problem with it. You can believe it, but don't throw it in my face. You, you've got to have a more sophisticated co- concept of both of God and God's power, the power we give to God, than simply those sorts of stories that you suggested were in the mind of a four-year-old earlier. So, Larry, thank you, Um, because I know you can take it. Um, I would like to critique some of your framing, your framing. No problem. You frame it as, well, I don't believe that, except, of course, metaphorically, which could be reframed as, of course, religion speaks the language of metaphor, not the language of science, because religion is more like philosophy and poetry than like chemistry and physics. And therefore, what this means is X. So I just want to critique your framing it as, well, it's not, except if maybe it is, right? And that can be reframed as, of course, it is metaphor. Or, um, well, I don't believe in that supernatural God, unless you mean God in some other way, which could be reframed as, you know, I believe in powers beyond me in the universe that I would describe as such and such. I think everything you said could be um, reframed as a positive belief structure rather than as a, as a, well, I don't believe that. So I don't really believe that, but I might believe this. You get what I'm saying? And you can argue with me that I'm quibbling um, but I, but I see it as then coming from a framing of um, disavowing something as opposed to avowing something. No, I, think, I, just, I, 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 think, I don't think it's quibbling at all. I think it's strengthened. I, I think people's belief structure and I think our own sense of what we believe is strengthened rather than saying, Oh, I know a lot of people believe it concretely. I guess I don't believe that. So I guess I'm not really a believer. If you ask me what I really believe, I believe this to sort of lead with, I really believe this. And I have no interest in those people who have some other concrete belief that I don't buy. They're allowed to, but that sort of, you know, I have no interest in that. That doesn't do it for me. The, that doesn't do it for me should be the footnote rather than, you know, it's the end of the paragraph, right, rather than the lead-in. I'm wow. sorry Diane's not here because what you said is very similar to things that Diane, Diane says all the time, yeah. which can kind of be summarized as, well, for a guy, who, a guy who claims he doesn't believe in God, you sure talk about him a lot. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. She's a wise woman. <laughs> that and no doubt other ways. Okay. We've got a few more minutes. Other thoughts? Terry, thanks. I, I'm, I will just reinforce and resonate um, both from what Meyer said um, um, at his mom's shiva and what Jeff said. I had a mother who suffered from depression of various diagnoses all of her adult life. And I literally watched her scrape herself off the floor due to her 
commitment and love of her family and wanting to be there for us and to get better. But it was a painful, painful process. And, um, and so like Jeff and Meyer, part of my perception of, of that has to do with, with what people can do. Um, people can do amazing things beyond, beyond something that isn't really explained um, necessarily um, by pure science. Anyway, that's what I wanted to share. Thank you. I, I believe my mother, who had no trouble, no, I think she had fewer wrestlings with faith, uh, would just say, uh, strength came from beyond and Hashem helped her find that strength, right? She was inspired by something beyond her, right? Your mother. And uh, Hashem helped her pick herself up. So again, I don't want to change what you said, but I want to say there are different ways of framing that depending on um, how, uh, by the way, you, you guys probably know, you know, or you might or might not not know. In the drug rehab field, there's 12 steps, which says we're helpless and you got to rely on God. And then there are people who totally reject that. And there's a movement called rational recovery, which says no, is about people taking control of their lives rather than saying, I need a higher power. Okay. So the traditional religious way of saying is, you know, the higher power helped her pick herself up. Right. And there are other people who say, well, if you if you want to say, I don't know where that strength came from, it came from inside her somehow, then don't take it away from the the human by saying, Hashem is somech no flim, right? God is the supporter of the fallen. So there are different ways of thinking about and framing where does that come from, right? The psalmist clearly said it comes from God. Other thoughts? Thanks all for sharing. We can spend a few more minutes if we want. Eric, I have a, um, yeah, I would have the, the scientific belief, I guess, that when you're dead, you're dead and it stops. And at the same time, I sort of don't feel that and pseudoscience perhaps, but life is a pattern. Consciousness is a pattern. People are patterns and patterns can repeat. And there may be a repeating universe at some time in the, in the, future where I will repeat or some parts of me will repeat where a part of me is repeating some somebody else now got it um and we know in 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 literature uh, it starts in literature and then in science fiction you know but but maybe it's maybe from science right the the idea of um repeating patterns parallel universes, right? And of course, there are religious views of this, right? The Zohar, I mean, the Midrash says, God created many worlds and destroyed them before God created our world. 
Okay. There are alt, which is another way, which is a midrashic way of saying there could be alternate universes. Okay. In midrash language, not in modern physics language. Joe. Unmute. You're muted. You're muted. Okay. There's time for everything. And God is, God, you know, can be behind everything that occurs. And you don't have to see it. Um, people, spiritual people like Isaac Asimov talked about uh, a story where the, uh, the uh, analog computer that controlled the universe uh, died. The universe died a uh, thermodynamic death and everything went, went, went entropic. And then at the end of it, the analog computer said, what are we going to do? Uh, oh, let there be light. So <laughs> that was a funny story. But <laughs> there was a, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of this. You know, we work in hospitals. You work with sick people. You work with the people who are helping them. And uh, it's, it's frightening because you're on holy ground. You're, God is all over the place. And uh, one day... Um, I was lucky enough to have a patient come back to me and all her cancer was gone. And, you know, we had given her some kind of therapy and it was, you know, she wasn't the first who had a good uh, outcome. And she was a very smart woman. She gave lectures and she she's a Jewish woman. But, you know, an intellectual Jewish woman, they're like um, atheists, like those, <laughs> a lot of jokes about that, right? So she said to me, isn't the mind of man wonderful? And I, I did not say this to her because I didn't want to argue with her. Yeah. But I thought to myself, there's somebody above who's controlling all of this. And the first thing I thought of was, isn't it wonderful that God allowed this to happen? And she said, isn't the mind of man wonderful that who invented uh, these medications? Yeah. So it depends on the level with, at which you want to look at things from. It, you can choose your perspective. You can you choose your perspective to be from the laboratory bench to some clever person who made a, who made a chemotherapy drug that was effective. Or you can go up a little bit higher and think of the universe and think of this, you know, Ribon Kolhamim, who, uh, who, t- who controls everything, including the man on the laboratory bench. So, um, I, I take that point of view because it, it's comforting to me to know <laughs> that, uh, there's a God who will take care of things and I don't have to understand everything. Um, I don't even understand exactly how my wristwatch works. So, um, right. so I'm not going to understand how the universe works. And it's like, like Joe was told, you know, who the hell are you? <laughs> so, so that's my point of view is that team fine with me. Um, there's plenty of time in the universe for that to happen. It may not happen in my lifetime, but, uh, but there's plenty of time to wait and I don't have to wait. It doesn't have to happen on my watch, but I will, uh, you know, I will hope. And it may happen 
in terms of, you know, analogous to your saying, how wonderful is the wine of the mind of man or how wonderful are you, God? Alternate frameworks for understanding the same thing. Um, it may happen in some way. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say it may. Surely it ha- will happen in some way in which we don't fully understand or fully anticipate. We'll still give out Nobel Prizes. Yeah. To, to human beings. Yeah. But uh, don't forget what's behind it. Got it. Good. Thank you. Jonathan, you're muted, Jonathan. You're still muted. I now, guess when I, when I think of it, I don't, I don't think of it as the resurrection. God has the power to resurrect the dead. I sort of, I say the words, but I don't really believe that. But I guess what goes through my mind is that there is a power that greater than I am. And in a sense, that gives strength to the community and the community gives me strength. So it's, it's sort of, um, you know, particularly when things I'm, I'm down and things are difficult and the community is so supportive of me, I, I connect it to Hashem. Yeah. But not necessarily that he's doing the things, but he's giving strength to the community that's giving me strength. Good. Thank you. Although alternative, an alternative framing of that and an, an alternative religious framing of that. Well, you said it religiously, but I'll say it differently, as well as what Joe said about all the people working in the hospital is Hashem sends angels to do God's work. Angels being emissaries, messengers who are sent out to do God's work. All right. Uh, you know, we'll close with that old story with the man who's uh, who's uh, dra- on the on the on the roof with the waters rising, and he dismisses the boat, and he dismisses the da 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 da, da and then he dies. And God, why didn't you save me? And God says, "What do you want, man? I sent a boat, and I sent this, and I sent that. What's the matter with you, right?" So uh, that's a good way to conclude. So. Uh, and Shavuot is coming up. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We're not meeting next Tuesday. I forgot about that. It's Shavuos. Okay. Um, so we'll meet two Tuesdays for now. And I uh, just want to encourage everyone to uh, look for God's work all around us. Uh, try to find your own framework for understanding God's presence in the world. Look for the angel and uh, be an angel yourself. Mm-hmm. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.